Hi, this is Carson with Troy. I have with me author and game designer, Alan Morgan. Now, Alan's first book, uh, The Children of Arla, was released earlier this year, and it coincides with the game that he's designing, uh, Planet Postmoderna. Alan, thank you so much for getting on with me, and go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the story you're creating. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, yeah, I'm Alan Morgan. Uh, I'm actually an indie game designer and author. Uh, the story actually, <laughs> ironically, started back in the early 1980s is when I first started it. It was a kind of an apocalyptic story about the second coming of Quetzalcoatl. Because if you if you understand, you know, history, Quetzalcoatl supposedly um, promised to come back to the Aztecs and the Mayans, and he never did. So um, I had this idea for a story back then that was kind of like based on that and the end of the world. But it it evolved into something totally different. Um, and, you know, I, and now it's Children of Arla, which is the beginning part of that entire story, which is the inspiration behind the virtual world game that I started in 2008. Now, you said that started back in the 80s, and I read um, on your biography on your website that it started out as a comic. Yep. It was so, a, actually, that's what I, it was a story, but I drew it out in the form of a comic so that I could kind of visualize it a little bit more. And I was experimenting with my artistic skills, which really weren't really good. And, <laughs> but it helped me kind of get it out and, and get an idea for, of what I wanted it to look like. Well, and that's interesting because it's taken different forms, uh, different uh, media, you know, art with a, with a comic and now it's a, I mean, it was a story beforehand and then you created a, a comic so you could visualize it. And then you started, um, you know, you, you expanded that story to novelization to coincide with uh, the VR, the video game that you're, yeah. you're trying to do. Um, yeah. What was the, so you said it was the, you know, second coming of Quetzalcoatl. Um, what was the genesis of that? Like, why did you choose that to write about? I don't know. You know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I had a dream that I was being chased by some dark entity. And this was like when I was in my early 20s. And I was dreaming that I was being chased by some dark entity. And I turned into a dragon to get away from it. And it was so realistic to me that I woke up. And I'm sure people have had dreams like this where it's so realistic to you that you actually hurt when you wake up. Well, that's exactly how I felt. And it had such an impact on me that I decided to pursue that and turn it into a story. But my original intent back then was really just to write a story that people could experience. And this was before video games took off. And I mean, I was writing text, text game, or what do they call that? I, I can't even remember it right now, but um, it was a text-based game on my Commodore 128. <laughs> nice. And I was writing that. And it, I kind of stopped it because life happened. Um, but that was my intent was to make something that somebody could experience, not just read. And it was funny because it was far before any video games really kind of evolved into what they are today. Um, but timing is everything. And now it seems like I can do a lot of what I visioned back then that, you know, anyway, but that's kind of what I was thinking. No, it's interesting how, um, how things evolve. Like I, I had an idea for not only this podcast, but what I want to do with Troy back in 2008, 2009, and the technology just wasn't there yet for what I want to do. And now it is. And so yeah. I started pursuing this. 
Um, another thing that's interesting is ideas can come from anywhere, you know, the dream, a writing prompt, whatever. In your case, it was a dream and you got up and decided to pursue this. And it's been kind of a process since the 80s for it to come out. Um, what, what has been some of the struggles and what has been some of the, the triumphs of your journey? Oh my God, where do you want me to start? <laughs> In, I think, I think a lot didn't happen between the early 80s and I'd say 2004. I mean, I enjoyed playing games, but I just kind of shelved my idea. I had gone to several writers groups and tried to pick up writing the story again. So it went through a few iterations in, in the 1990s. And again, I stopped it. But in 2004, 2000, somewhere between 2004 and 2006, I remember reading, um, and I might have my dates wrong. Um, I'd have to go back and refer to some of the blog articles I have on my website, because that's how I can kind of remember things. In fact, I've gotten to the point that now I think the internet's my brain. <laughs> that's how I remember stuff. But um, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal about these high school kids that were making $8,000 a month playing video games and making you know armor and clothes in Second Life or Entropy Universe. So I started looking into that a little bit more. I thought it was really, really fascinating. And I got a couple of art, uh, a couple of accounts set up on Second Life and, and Entropy Universe. And both of them were kind of in their infant stages. Um, Second Life's graphics were really, really hokey, I thought, um, compared to what I was used to playing in video games. I started looking into Entropy Universe. And Entropy Universe, I was extremely fascinated about because it was a sci-fi based game. Uh, the graphics still were, you know, a little bit, not too bad. And um, it was a real cash economy, which I found very, very fascinating where, where players could actually buy stuff and exchange them for value. So basically you could take all your assets and sell them and get, you know, money back. So, I mean, obviously not full value, but, um, I kind of weighed that out against what it would cost you to do a subscription game like, you know, Star Wars Galaxies or WoW. And really, it still ended up being less money because of the fact that you could make money. So, you know, it might cost you 25 cents an hour to basically play your game by comparing the amount of money you put in versus what you can actually get out of it. So to me, I thought, hey, that makes sense, right? And then they came out with a partner planet program where people could independently invest in a game concept and use their platform to build it. So you would actually be building your game inside of their game using their, their, uh, their, their uh, functionality, mm -hmm. which I thought was a really neat idea. So I spent a long time trying to take my, my uh, game idea and my story idea and using Entropy Universe as a way to make it happen. I went a long, long ways of trying to generate funding and, and pitch it at, at uh, you know, startup groups and investor forums and all kinds of stuff, just trying to raise the money. But it was very hard. Um, the price tag back then was $2 million to buy a planet. And I could barely get anybody to contribute anything more than a few hundred dollars because mm -hmm. the idea of a, a virtual world and real cash economy was almost... Un, people just couldn't understand it. And 
I was not able to, to generate the revenue that I wanted to do. So I started putting together a team thinking, hey, you know, maybe let's go ahead and just build our own demo and show people what we can do and maybe get investors that way. And um, I started uh, recruiting people from different artist boards from all over the world, everywhere from, you know, Australia to Denver to Serbia and the UK. And I got a pretty good team together. In fact, I even recruited the, the head of uh, Mesoamerican history at the University of Colorado to basically provide, you know, input. And I still could not get the money to raise, you know, that I needed to basically start the project to the point that I finally gave up once the price tag was raised from $2 million to $6 million by Mindark, mostly because a lot of the people that they did bring on as partner planets were, can were cannibalizing the existing player base. So that's kind of why the cost went up. At that point, I decided, you know, I'm just going to try to build my own uh, project. And I continue to work with a lot of my volunteers. And, you know, we, they, they contribute a lot of assets. I mean, I even started a little program at the Art Institute to try to use students at the Art Institute to contribute assets and help out on the project. I even went back to school thinking that might actually help me be taken more seriously by, by investors. And it just didn't work out. It's kind of like one of those things where the stars are just not aligned in the right place to make things happen. And I finally gave up and ended up moving to El Paso from Colorado Springs and for my work. And in 2014, I think it was around there that I picked up the story again and tried to get it edited when I came down to El Paso after a while, um, it didn't quite pan out. In fact, the editor that I used actually gave me more work than I originally started oh, out with. So I finally said, oh, what am I doing? So I just totally scratched it. And then for some reason, last year, in the fall of last year, something just came over me and I said, you know, I have got to finish this. Because if I at least finish the story and get the story out there so that people could experience it and understand the background, um, maybe I could start getting people interested. That's what I decided to do. So in December, I, I hired an editor and she helped me finish um, polishing off whatever I need to get done, got it published in January. And that's when I started to decide, when I basically decided to go to the comic cons and start pitching the story. And since then, I've been bitten by the bug of wanting to finish the game as well. Um, so like when I talked to you at, you know, at Phoenix Fan Fusion, it was about the time when I pretty much had done some of the basic uh, core development um, on the game again as an indie, um, not as part of some big thing with Entropy Universe anymore. It's really just building back to what I originally thought in the early 1980s, which was to create a story that people could experience. And that's kind of where I'm back at right now. So I'm using things like Game Creator and, and Gaia for procedural terrain. And I'm building out the, you know, the uh, inventory system and the functionality using visual scripting instead of coding, because I hate programming. I mean, I even tried to teach myself programming for a little while by taking a lot of the courses that they had online with, um, with uh, uh, Unity. 
uh, tried to get my certification in, in, in Colorado and failed miserably at that because I realized I don't know squat about coding, even though I tried to get my mind around it. I could not sit down and absolutely do anything more than create Hello World. So um, I finally gave up on that and discovered visual scripting with, with Game Creator, which has actually been very easy for me to do. And um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So that in a nutshell was my long version of point A to point B on everything that I've gone through <laughs> with regards to this project. And exactly like you said earlier, it's that whole idea of just not giving up. And even though I'm probably crazy, but I really want to see this happen. So I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen, even if, even if I have to do it myself. So I like the, the fact that you wrote a book as well to coincide to kind of, you know, lots of people, authors um, put out like reader magnets to, mm -hmm. you know, a little short story to help whet the appetite as it were to, to read your story. And that's what your book basically is, is like, mm -hmm. you know, try to immerse people in this world so that it can help you with your, your game design. Um, how much, I mean, I, I went on your, your website and you have a YouTube video of, you know, what you, what's been done so far. Um, how much uh, backstory have you done? How much world building have you done? It looks like you've done quite a bit. Yeah, I actually have a, gosh, it's a 80 some page game design document that I created back in 2011. Um, so I have a lot of the foundational stuff done, but as far as the actual game is concerned, I've gotten the the base camp area, which is where a lot of the initial team that discover the planet ended up at that's already mapped out um, i'm just trying to build the functionality right now that goes on top of the actual scenery um, i have you know my movements set up i mean i can do everything from you know run and walk to jump to engage in combat with a, a hunting knife which essentially is really what people are going to be uh, limited to because energy weapons don't work on Argus, which is the planet they discovered, um, because the crystal that is, is so apparent on this planet absorbs energy. Um, so if you go too far from base camp, your weapons and your communication and all that stuff isn't going to work. Um, thankfully, the, the V chip that everybody is, a, is equipped with that's in their brain, um, that is powered by your, your own energy so it, it uses the energy in your body and thankfully the luminoid crystals don't take energy out of people or organic material it basically takes it only out of our electronic devices so you know people are are limited to using hand melee weapons and and uh just traditional um what do you call projectile weapons like you know, bows and arrows and, and guns and things that, you know, the old West was built, <laughs> you know, so it's really the old West in, in space. <laughs> well, I like that handicap. Um, I think that, you know, in every story, uh, I think the limitations of a character are more important and more interesting than, than what they can do because then they have to think creatively. They have to yeah. explore and be able to, to do something in a different way than what's expected. Yeah, and like I shared with you at, at FanFusion, you know, this whole project is based on the premise that the story is the basis of the project, but you cannot 
you 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 have to play the game after you read the story because there's pieces in the story that you will miss in the game if you don't read the book first mm. and there are puzzles that you have to solve in certain parts of the game that you will not be able to to you know satisfactorily complete without having the background that you got from the story so it's like they're meant to be done together and and you know on a big big scale i'm hoping that this whole process of having to read a book and play a game together will get people to read more and play less games only by themselves just to grind through and get all your experience points that they can actually do what i originally wanted to do which was create a story that people could experience because they have to be done together you know it's like you can't you can't go play the game without reading the book <laughs> it's just it ain't gonna work that's that's awesome that's a fantastic concept uh, really and and truly activates certain different aspects of the brain too mm-hmm. so it helps develop a person even even more and being able to to have them linked it really immerses people in a, in a world um different than any other game concept out there um so you were you know you said you went back to school um were, were you self-taught kind of with the game development side of it or how how were you able to to kind of do that most of it yes um when i was actually trying to launch the project with entropia universe um, one of the guys on our team, um, he he said, he's the one who told me, hey, Alan, you really need to work on a game design document. So that'll help you, you know, stay organized. In a, and it hadn't it been for his suggestion, I probably would have never done it because um, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, I was I was good at organizing and and trying to, you know, manage a project um, as best as I can. I just didn't have the technical expertise. Um, to do a lot of that stuff. So I learned Maya and 3ds Max and Blender and all those things on my own, um, but it wasn't enough. So I enrolled at the Art Institute thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to take their game design course and hopefully, you know, that will help me. Well, it did, um, but I ended up quitting. I I hate to say that, um, but it was mostly because I lived in Colorado Springs. The school was in Denver. They only did so much online. And had I decided to transfer to the full online course at, at, at Pittsburgh, um, I would have had to start all over. And I just didn't want to do that. You know, so I, I said, you know, I, I'm just going to stop doing this. And and it was it was it was a it was a big disappointment for me because I really enjoyed what I did. Mm-hmm. And I liked going to school, <clears throat> you know, the, the other classmates loved me mostly because I was an older guy that, you know, knew a little bit about game de- design and it was just kind of neat. It was just a, a good culture and a good, you know, atmosphere. It's just, I couldn't finish. So everything that I've done has pretty much been self-taught because I had to, it's not like I wanted to, I mean, I was fascinated by the subject, so it was fun, but I did kind of have to learn a lot on my own. Um, and I, I owe a lot to that one guy that was on my team that started me write, writing that game design document because it did help me focus and it did help me stay organized. And now I've got this big document that that I could use if somebody wanted to buy the project and say, hey, this is what we're able to do for the base camp area. And this is what we have to make, you know, what has to be created. And, you know, but that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a long way to answer your question. I apologize. 
No, no. Uh, I, there's some fabulous nuggets that people can take. You know, one of the, the greatest nuggets that, you know, reading your life uh, bio on your website and stuff is the fact that, you know, you talked about your, the regret of, of giving up the Art Institute class and, and whatnot. But one of the, the greatest marks of success is picking things back up. And that's what you've been able to do. You know, things, yeah. life has happened to you to where you had to stop for whatever reason. But last year you got a bug and you stuck with it and you were able to, to get the novel out so people can see like, this is real, this is happening. What were some of your habits to get it out so fast? Um, just deciding to do it. I mean, I had already finished the manuscript. Um, I just needed somebody to help me finish the rest. So getting that editor to, to help me tweak it and polish out the parts that need to be polished um, was really all it took. I just had to buck, you know, basically decide to go and hire somebody. Um, mm -hmm. I knew it was going to cost me money. I didn't want to spend it, but I knew I just needed to do it. It was either get that done or still delay it some more. And I just didn't want to do that. I just said, you know, I've been sitting on this for decades and, you know, is that really what I wanted to do is just to say, Hey, I've got this great idea and do nothing about it. Um, so I decided to hire somebody and she, she helped with the, the editing and the cover and, um, oh, really got two for one, huh? Yeah. I mean, she was awesome. She really was. And how long ago had you finished the manuscript? I finished it in 2014. So it's been sitting on the shelf for, you know, six, seven years. Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are lots of people out there who I think have written novels who have, you know, put them aside because they think they're, you know, no good or like you, like don't want to spend the money to actually get it professionally edited. You know, they think they can do it themselves or life just gets in the way and that can stop somebody too. But you've shown, you know, take, take whatever you have, dust it off and finish it and get it out there so people can read it and enjoy it and, yep. and see what happens. Yep. Um, so this is the first of, are you going to do multiple stories? Yeah. In fact, I already have an idea for the second part of the story, but I have to put that on hold until I can get this part of the game done. So chapter one of the game um, is meant to be done after Children of Arla. And once chapter one is done, um, or at least the core part of it is, is done, I'm hoping to go pitch it at the game design conference and see if I'm lucky enough to get a investor to actually finish the game, because that would be awesome. But even if I cannot, I'm not going to stop. I'll get, you know, chapter one done. And then when chapter one is done and published, then I'll go work on the next book, which is is going to be kind of centered on the technology itself and the in the the um, the generation of children that basically grew up with that technology and their influence on using it. Um, essentially, they're going to use virtual worlds as a way to create, and they're going to create in the virtual world and discover that there is, without me giving away too much, discover that there's another level of space travel that exists in the virtual sense. And that virtual uh, plane is actually a real plane that connects points in our real time space. So, you know, and that's a Hydrakian technology um, that we accidentally discover 
through these kids that grew up with the virtual, the VCHEP technology that John Baxter created. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds awesome. So that can't those, happen until the game's done. <laughs> <laughs> those of you, um, well, for those who want to, you know, be a game designer and is creating their own thing, um, we explain what the game design con is that people can um, go in there kind of knowing what to expect. Oh, yeah. GDC, the Game Design Conference, is a big conference that developers and publishers and, I guess, aspiring indie um, game designers go to to network and take classes. It's usually held in San Francisco. Um, and I, I remember wanting to go when I was at the Art Institute, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't think of a way to afford it because it's usually about twenty six hundred dollars. Uh, just for the conference, if you want to participate in everything. And then you've got travel and all that kind of stuff. But it is a good event to be at because you've got, you know, organizations like Unity um, and some of the big publishers like, you know, EA and, um, you know, they're there. So it's like if you want to network with the right people and and see new games that are, are planning to become come out, it's a good conference to go to. Um, probably followed second by, you know, E3, which is the big one that most of the big publishers go to that talk about new technologies like the next PlayStation or whatever, you know, but the game design conference is a good conference to go to if you're a developer and you're aspiring to launch your game or learn from other people in the industry because they have great classes, you know, about game development and concepting and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just something that I, I wish I had done a long time ago, but, you know, right now, as I mentioned, you know, timing is everything. So, um, now everything, it just feels like everything is in the right place today to make me do things that I could not have done 20, 30 years ago. So if somebody wants to become a game designer, uh, you know, have the story and, and whatnot, what are some of the tips and tricks that you could give them to, to kind of help them out? Network. I mean, it really is about networking and don't, don't be too proud to reach out for help. Um, because a lot of people, you know, they, they get in their little click, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, network with some of my fellow students at school or whatever, but they never really get anywhere because they're not putting themselves out there. You know, you've got to get out there and, you know, it, even if it means you need to move to someplace like Austin or, you know, San Francisco, where there, there are more studios, sometimes it's, it's good to just be in the place in the industry that you want to be in. And, you know, nowadays with podcasts and, you know, Zoom and everything out there, as far as being able to, to break down those barriers that we have with geography, it's like, why would you not take advantage of it? Get out there and, you know, meet people, even if it's in the virtual sense, just so that you can start building a team of people that you can learn from. And, you know, because obviously there's no monopoly in knowledge, right? So no matter how much you know, someone's going to learn from you just as much as you learn from that. So, you know, just get out there. That's, that would be my advice. Don't be afraid, you know, don't sit on it for 30 years. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. I, I've been surprised at how many people, you know, I've interviewed authors and artists um, and how many people would say, get out and network. It, it's important. Um, and, you know, 
I, I'm an introvert. This isn't my comfort level of whatever. But in order to grow and, able to, and be able to achieve what I want to achieve, I have to put myself out there and be able to ex expand, you know, my circle of influence. So that's, that's, that's great advice. What, what kind of challenges have you came across now that the book is out that, um, that you've come across as I think far most as marketing and, and different things? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a pretty lengthy background in sales and marketing. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now I've done um or been exposed to for me it's always been a funding issue that's the biggest that's been my biggest challenge throughout this entire process from when i first started is you know you get into the mode of trying to get by you know on a regular basis you know because we life as i mentioned you know, i hate to say life happens but it does you know you get you, you get married or you have kids and, you know, that's going to demand time. And unless you're actually working the job in that career field that you want to be in, a lot of times you have to put that on hold because whatever you're doing at that time to pay the bills, that becomes the priority, especially if you have a family, right? Um, but you have to never, ever keep your mind, keep your eye off that, that goal. Don't ever forget it because you know, letting life take its priority and, and putting that aside is probably the worst thing you could ever do. I mean, even if you've got to persuade your spouse or your family to say, please, you know, I, I just need your support. And this is really, really what I want to do. You know, do that. Don't ever say, oh, you know, I'll just forget about it. You know what I mean? But for me, that whole process, had I maybe did a little bit more networking, um, and try to find investors and things like that and been a little bit more pushy, I guess, maybe things would have turned out differently. But I am a firm believer. My wife reminds me of this all the time. It's like, sometimes it's God's plan, not yours. <laughs> and you just got to remember that it's just, maybe it just wasn't the right time. And, and I really believe that because when I talk to people now about the project, People still think it's a novel and, and cool idea to merge mediums and bridge the gap between reading and playing a game and having an immersive experience that's based on both. Yet it's really not a new idea. It's been tried in the past. It's just, I don't know if anyone's pulled it off successfully. And I think that's one of the things that drives me the most is I want to make that happen. Um, you know, so who knows? But if I could get the funding, I think that would probably speed things up and um, mm. because, you know, I am investing a lot on my own and time and money, but, you know, having that extra funding would definitely help me push forward. Um, so I am thinking about, you know, working on maybe a, another Kickstarter program. Um, I did that back in 2011. It wasn't successful, but I was probably asking for too much, you know, focus small, focus on, you know, Hey, what do I need to maybe start building some assets for base camp? instead of thinking about the whole project, instead of going after that full 200,000 to $2 million, just focus on maybe five to 10,000, get that raised first, and then build those assets, show people what you can do, then go back and ask for more or get more investors because you're going to build traction. It's kind of like you, you know, you're doing your podcast, right? In the very beginning, when you did your first podcast, you didn't really expect 100,000 or 200,000 people to be watching you, right? It right. happens over time. 
same thing. Um, but you have to be committed and you have to stick at it. And my issue is always distraction. <laughs> I get very easily distracted and I need to stop that. <laughs> well, you mentioned a few things that I really like, you know, one, have a goal and have it up there so you can see, you know, have a projection of what you want. Put um, a picture on your refrigerator or something. I don't know. What yeah, you... something, you know, <laughs> have a goal and be able to, to focus on that. Um, two, you know, talk to somebody, a significant other or whatever, and to have them support you. You know, you mentioned um, your your Kickstarter. Go in little bits instead of, you know, the massive things. And, and we talked about networking before, but networking is huge. Like if you're going for a Kickstarter or, you know, your first time author or whatever, reach out and maybe those people that have been successful can, can help you out. So yeah. these are all great nuggets that somebody that's listening can can pull from and, and be able to advance their career that, that you shared. Um, are you able to, to work on your game um, every single day or, or what are some of your habits to kind of rest? Yeah, I have a tendency to be all or nothing, which is a bad thing. So I have made an agree. I've, I've come to an agreement with my wife, no more than an hour and a half. So I'll do it an hour and a half every day. And I'll set my little timer um, so that I can have that time to work on whatever I need to work on. And if I'm not done and that timer goes off, stop. Because the, re the truth is you really have to have balance. And it's really easy to get obsessed about your vision and forget about all the other things around you, such as your family or work or whatever. And you just got to have, got to have that, that balance, right? So, or you'll never finish because you'll, you'll, be so obsessed that you know the either the fun of it goes out the window or you're going to stop because you're you're treading water because you can't keep up because of everything else that's going on so if you could just have that balance and proceed from that point and i have found that has really really helped me a lot because now i get to spend time working on it except i'm not robbing you know my wife of time that i should be spending with her or getting out there to mow my grass or, you know, getting emails answered for work, all that kind of stuff, you know, so that is I like it. That's, that's a great advice for anybody that's doing it. And it doesn't have to be an hour and a half. If you can only just put in a half hour, um, yeah. I think consistency is more important than doing everything all in a big chunk and burning yourself out. I think. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that in, you know, some of the panels, like when I was up in Denver, when we were talking about writing, it, you know, people ask, well, how do you, how do you finish a book? Well, one page at a time, you know, even if it, if, if you could only write one page at a time, at a time, do that. And, and, you know, one of the big things that I got out of one of the panels I was on was, was a great, great nugget of advice. And that was don't edit your story as you go, finish your story, then go back and edit it. So commit, to doing one or two pages a day but focus on finishing that story don't don't stop and edit and then write some more and then edit and then write some more because that's what i did and look how long it took me to finish my story so because <laughs> i was a perfectionist right and right cannot do that you got to finish your story get the words out into the universe first and then go back but do it one bit at a time that's that's fantastic advice one of the i don't remember who said it but one of the things that hit me is you know, you're not a good author. Those people that aren't, that are, you know, selling millions of copies of books and whatnot, aren't good authors. They're good revisers. Yep. But first they had to have something to revise. So finish your story. And I thought that was, that was great advice. 
Um, is there anything else you want to share before we, we end here? I, I know I'm, I'm looking at building a team again. I would love to be able to get a team of volunteers together to help make this, this project a reality. Um, and I'm definitely looking for investors all the time to help provide funding. But if anything, on a personal level, I would have to say anybody out there that's looking to make a dream happen, don't just look to make it happen. Go ahead, go out there and take those steps to make it happen. And, and don't ever take your eyes off that, that goal. I mean, just do it. Don't, <laughs> you know, you may not be able to get it done today, but, you know, if you stick at it, you will, you will finish it. And I know I'm not going to give up until this project is done. I mean, I could be 70 or 80 years old someday and barely being able to carry on a conversation with anybody, but I want to see it happen. I want, I want to be able to look back and say, hey, I stuck it out and I made it happen. It hurt like hell, but I made it happen. You know, <laughs> that's what I want to say. Perfect. So if anybody's listening, how can they get a hold of you if they want to join their team, if they want to invest, what, what can people do? To they can actually you? contact me through the website so they can go to planet-postmoderna.com. Um, I'm sure you'll post it up there as a link or something, but yeah, if they go there, they can go to the, the project information page and there's even a, a contact page on there that you can actually you know reach out to me and let me know what your interest is. And, or even if you just want to join the mailing list, a lot of those resources are right on the website. Perfect. Are you going to go to any more conventions this year? Not this year. Not this I think year. I'm done. I made a promise to my wife. No more this year. <laughs> <laughs> the next big one would be the game design conference. And I'm hoping that the demo will be done by then. If not, I, I am for sure going to probably repeat what I did this year. I'll go to the El Paso Comic Con first and then back to Fan Fusion in Phoenix. And I already uh, re re-registered for the Denver one for next year. So I'll definitely be up there, but it, it takes a lot, you know, all that travel and, you know, talking to people, it's as fun as it is, it takes a lot of energy, you know, and I, I, I kind of like, you know, same thing what you talked about, you know, it's like, I kind of like myself as kind of a hybrid between an introvert and a, and an extrovert, but really there's a fine line between extroverts and introverts, you know, an introvert can be extroverted, but they use a lot of energy talking to people. And I mean, I'm having fun, but man, I go back to my hotel room or whatever, and I'm exhausted, you know, because it takes so much out of you, but it's so fun talking about stuff that you believe in. I mean, right. it just, it, it gives you energy. It's exciting, you know, but Perfect. answer your question. Yeah. So that'll probably be it. Unless somebody gives me a really good idea, then I might follow <laughs> up on that too. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Alan, I appreciate you getting on with me today. Uh, thank you so much. I yeah, learned a thanks. lot. This was really fun. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.